From the studios of Teeing It Up, Swamp to Jersey, this is Teeing It Up Presents, Danny Flucka in his weekly spot. Good morning, sir. On this February 21st, actually 22nd, 2020. Hey, man, how are you? I am well. All right. Um, <clears throat> we have a NFL CBA that was voted down by the executive council and the player reps chose not to move forward with it. Um, And it leads to a situation where the players just do not want this 17-game season, regular season, um, without further concessions. So let's take this one by one. Are you okay with a 17-game regular season? I believe we are in the cell dead zone area that Danny is in. Uh, I lost you there for a bit. What, were you, what was the question? Okay, yep. I thought we entered the, the uh, cell dead zone area. The NFL's uh, uh, <clears throat> the uh, proposed CBA was voted down yesterday by the executive council. The player reps chose to table it to next week. 17-game regular season continues to be the holdup, so let's take this piece by piece, are you okay with a 17-game regular season? I, I think from a fan perspective, you know, as much football as I can get my hands on, I, I want. Um, but I just don't understand the context. Uh, as of, I think I get it from like a logical perspective. What does 17th game realistically got? Um, I know that uh, the NFL's reasoning or like the you know, corporate offices and the owners are like, we're going to take away one preseason game to add to um, the regular season, so that way we actually realize the full potential of, of the revenue stream. Um, you know, you get the potential extra regular season game compared to a preseason game. Um, with that being said, uh, I... I don't understand how the 17th game factors in here or how they're going to make it a more appealing product to the fan. You know, they did a really good job, I thought, um, when they instituted, in the, I think, the new CBA, whatever it was, that the last game of the season was going to be divisional games um, and that they were going to hold off, you know, they were going to play all those games as, as, you know, on the same schedule. That way there was a... Uh, no competitive advantage or disadvantage in the product that we were going to be seeing. I thought that was a great move by them, and it's created some really intriguing Week 17 matchups. Now, that has essentially played as a play-in playoff game for a, major- for a lot of the teams that have played in those games. So what's the 17th game going to be? Is it going to be the same type of situation? Are they going to do a little more crossover with the... Uh, uh, it, you know, cross-conference play, are you going to have more matches potentially with, you know, the Chiefs and the Packers or the Chiefs and the Saints? You know, are we going to see more of that? Um, I don't know what they plan to accomplish with the 17th game, but I, I don't know if it really makes sense overall to do that. Maybe shape up, shake up the schedule a little bit more where you get more intriguing matchups on a year-to-year basis rather than on this four-year cycle that they continue to work on. You know, the thing with me about a 17th game is also who ends up in the playoffs. And you get eight and nine teams and seven and ten teams. You're going to get 
lower quality playoff games, which dovetails into part two of this proposal, which is three three preseason games, 17 regular season games, and then the addition of one team per conference, one team gets a bye, and now we're looking at three wild card games, wild card weekend on both Saturday and Sunday, more money, more TV money, they can go to the networks with that money, this is all about money, but now we're looking at a different playoff structure if you add in that seventh team to each conference. And personally, we're going to end up with some wacky playoff systems. I'm uh, sorry, some, some wacky playoff games before the divisional round. Yeah, and it's, it's hard for me to understand the seventh team as well. You know, but the NFL always says they want to put the best product onto the field. Um, and make sure that we consume the best possible football that we can. They have Thursday night games every single week. They have uh, they want to include seven teams in the playoff, where you know the, the, the wild card games at times are hit or miss to begin with. You know, as it is right now with six teams in there, there's a gulf in competition. I think between you know the, the, the two seed, three seed, and, and then the six seed, creating some matchups at times that are just Outrageous, or or two, you know, teams are just so overmatched they can't compete in those games. I don't know that the seventh game is also the seventh team is also like a, a realistic possibility or even a, uh, a necessary thing for them. The, the format has worked the way it's worked. Um, the one thing that makes football so great is that every single week matters. You know, you, you can't really have an off week in the NFL. I think it also dilutes, you know finishing in the top half of your conference, you know, if you finish second in your conference, you're still playing that first weekend. What, what's the what's the benefit of having a 12-4 season or a 13-3 season if you're not going to get that bye? So I don't think the 17 makes much sense. I personally don't want to see it. I, I like the way it is right now. It's just a fight for that opportunity to play in the playoffs. Like you mentioned, I, I don't want to see an 8 and 9 team or a 7 and 10 team in the playoffs. And then potentially even those teams ruining the opportunity to see, you know, one of the better teams move on. Um, you know, while those are great stories, while they're happening, you know, from a content perspective, you know, this year, you know, take for example, I much would rather have seen the, the Saints versus the Vikings and the, I mean, the Saints versus the 49ers and the 49ers versus the Vikings, uh, you know, so, and, so forth and so on. So I think that seventeen is just like you said, a money grab. Um, really puts a bad product on the field, and I think really dilutes what the NFL is trying to do. Yeah, I I am with you that in baseball there may be a point, which we'll get to in a second, to adding another playoff team. But when it comes to the NFL, I just can't see it, um, and, and I can't see it under the structure. We're talking to Danny Flecka here on Teeing It Up. Um, and and anyway, as we continue here um, in his weekly spot, you know, what's interesting about something that didn't get a lot of publicity this week is Drew Brees coming back for another season. And when you look at Drew Brees deciding to come back, you've got three quarterbacks in New Orleans Taysom Hill wants to be a starter. Teddy Bridgewater, I don't think they can keep. And now they've got to pay Drew Brees commensurate money. And in my mind, you're looking at a situation where something's going to have to give and somebody's going to end up with a quarterback who really kept the Saints afloat 
during a trying time this year. And for my money, what's interesting about this is that you're going to keep Taysom Hill. I would think Teddy Bridgewater is going to be the one who goes. You keep Taysom Hill, dynamic part of that offense. And yet, what if Drew Brees wants to pull a Tom Brady and continue on? Or is there some kind of backdoor assurance that this is going to be Drew Brees' last year? Yeah, so all we know about Drew Brees is that he's coming back, right? I, I don't think I've seen numbers, length, anything like Correct. that. Correct. Um, so, you know, it's really interesting that that has not come out yet because that really does affect the market if you really want to look at it that way, too. Drew Brees is going to affect, I think, what Brady... I think Brady's market's already set, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays off for, for Brady's next contract. Um, you know, as far as the rest of the Saints moves, you know, Bridgewater is gone. Uh, there's no way that they keep him and they keep Taysom Hill. Um, Taysom Hill is a more effective and cost-effective option for them. They'll probably tender him at, like, a first or second round tender. Um, that way, you know, if anyone does try to sign him, which I don't think they're going to, uh, this is a very rich free agent quarterback class, and you know there are three to four top prospects going to be drafted in the first round this year. I think that Taysom Hill gets, gets you know tender at the first and second round level, and the Saints are able to keep him. I have found this free Brady saga to be fascinating for, for a number of different reasons. You know, as a Giant fan, we just went through a very similar situation, right? Super Bowl winning quarterback on your team, faced the franchise for a number of years, um, has had better years behind him, and you're really hoping that you're still going to get past production from these players as they continue to get older. When does the opportunity come for you to move on, and when is the right time for you to move on? Um, I think the Saints were in a situation probably out of all these teams, you know, the Steelers, the Chargers, the Giants, the Pats, that are in the best possible situation. All right, you have three quarterbacks on your team, and two of them have proven that they can play in the NFL, have experience playing in the NFL, for a bridge or you know, a new regime in this sense to take over. And they just don't seem motivated enough to do that. And I think that you will find that these teams that don't move on fast enough from these types of quarterbacks are going to really position themselves in, in a way that I think is detrimental to their long-term uh, view on where their franchise can go. You know, the, the Pats were lucky they got they had Brady, decided to move on from Garoppolo, and I understand that the Super Bowl that he had, but, you know, thinking about it from just a numbers perspective, wouldn't you rather have had Garoppolo for the next 10 years than Brady for just two years? Pats fans will argue, yeah, we got two Super Bowls out of Brady and Garoppolo State. Fair enough. But, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see how these teams approach the next couple of years because you tie yourself into a quarterback, you miss out on the opportunity to draft, develop, sign somebody that could potentially keep your franchise for about 10 years. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out and, you know, what the numbers are that come out for Brady, what Brady gets on the market, and where Bridgewater lands. I think it's one of the more intriguing off-seasons in the NFL in the last 10-15 like, years. ton of free agent quarterbacks available, and since we last podcasted, Danny, uh, we got the news that Phillip Rivers and the Chargers are going to mutually part ways. I am convinced that if it's not New England, the Los Angeles Chargers is where Brady ends up. 
So now this begs the question of what does Philip Rivers do? The guy puts up big numbers, and yet he's had to do it because he's been in a system and in a and on a team where he's had to have some comebacks and had to really push the envelope. So what are you looking at now in terms of Philip Rivers and where he lands? I've heard Miami come up as a place where if they try to go get Tua in the draft, they could put Philip there in, in, in a backup or a mentorship role, similar to how the Giants handled Daniel Jones, to where you start Rivers to start the season, same way the Giants started Eli, and then eventually you pass the torch. What do you think Philip Rivers' future looks like? I honestly think Bill Rivers is tough, to be honest with you. The last couple of years for him have not been great. Uh, I know people have talked about, uh, you know, Eli Manning's decline and, you know, how rapidly that came and how he wasn't a serviceable quarterback anymore. I, I, I see the same for Bill Rivers. You know, he's not a mobile quarterback. He sits in the pocket. He has, he has poor decision-making. Um, despite the weapons he had in San, San Diego and L.A., you know, with Melvin Gordon, Hunter Henry, Antonio Gates, um, Mel, uh, Melvin Gordon, Keith Allen, um, Tyrell Williams before he left, uh, Mike Williams there. He still threw a lot of interceptions, put his team in, in bad situations. I just don't think he's there. I think any team that does sign him has to sign him to a deal that allows them to avoid any additional guaranteed money or, or years on that contract after one year. And if you are drafting a quarterback to sit behind Philip Rivers, you have to be in a situation, I think, where you are comfortable playing that rookie sometime in that season because I don't know if Philip Rivers has what it takes to take a team like Miami to the playoffs if that's a goal for them, or even Tampa Bay. Uh, I don't know if there's a difference between Philip Rivers or Jameis Winston, honestly. At least Jameis Winston can move around a bit. He's 26 years old, yet he makes a ton of mistakes. Um, but maybe that's something you can get out of. You know, you can break him, uh, break the habit of, you know, he got LASIK surgery, so we'll see what that does for him. But I think any team Bill Rivers goes to, um, you have to draft or have a young quarterback on your roster and then be comfortable at the same time knowing that you might have to potentially play that quarterback at, at some point in the season. Um, I just don't think Bill Rivers is, is built anymore for the NFL, just, just the way it's moved. Um, you know, there are very few quarterbacks that are on rosters nowadays that can get by without moving around, um, and you just don't see these types of quarterbacks anymore. So I think personally Philip Rivers is cooked. I don't know if I would be giving him a ton of money. I don't know if he'd be an option for me if I was a GM. But you know, that name, that pedigree is going to attract one team, and that's all it takes is one team to fall in love. Um, but personally myself, I'd stay away from him. Um, speaking of Jameis Winston, a lot of times in golf, we hear about guys getting LASIK surgery, um, you know, trying to improve their vision, trying to do that little extra thing to see, especially with putting, to see the lines on the green better. Jameis Winston gets LASIK surgery, and it becomes the butt of jokes for days. And yet you wonder, 30 for 30 club, now he's, you know, somebody had that great tweet. He got, he's trying to go from 30 to 30. Uh, to, to 2020, um, is this the necessary move? I mean, his agent put out a statement that basically said Jameis is willing to do whatever it takes to be the best quarterback he can be next year. That's all you expect an agent to say. But it's a really interesting move um, to publicize it the way that his team did. That's not a coincidence. He's tr- clearly trying to show teams, 
I can be better next year. And yet, he becomes the first member of the 30-30 club, and it's like, how much can we trust this guy, and how much money can we throw at this guy? Yeah, I mean, you can't get any worse than Jameis Winston as far as, like, a, a season last year. You know, he had a lot of positives. He threw for 33 touchdowns. He threw for 5,000-plus yards. Uh, but a lot of negatives in there, turnovers, interceptions, et cetera. You have to hope that if you're Bruce Arians or, you know, whatever team that takes a shot on him, that those 30 interceptions were a product of game flow. Um, maybe it was a product of, of his eyesight, you know. It, it could very well be that he had trouble seeing certain players on the field, whatever it might be. You, as, as a player, have to hope that, okay, I threw 30 interceptions. I, I, I have to do better, maybe 20, maybe 15, whatever it is. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily going to affect the market so much. There are a lot of teams out there that could use a, a young quarterback that could have untapped potential. Um, you know, and let's look at the scheme that, that he was in too last year. You know, Bruce Arians had an aggressive downfield scheme. You know, with that come, you know, lower percentage throws that could potentially be, um, you know, intercepted. and. You know, Jameis could have felt the pressure in some way, shape, or form to produce based off the scheme that he was provided and, and make those throws downfield that were um, lower percentage throws than maybe some other offenses provide. So I still think just given his skill set that he is a viable option for a lot of teams, it's just, you know, our team's going to look past on some of the mistakes that he was making, uh, you know, the last couple of seasons. A ton of Danny Flecky here on teeing it up. All right, last football thing. Um, this time next week will be the Underwear Olympics, the scouting combine. Um, sometimes you watch it, sometimes you don't watch it. I know that. Is there any player, anybody who you're looking forward to seeing if you do have plans to watch some position group at some point? Not really, no, to be honest with you. Like, I, I think we, we're seeing kind of a move away from the combine, right? Um, a couple of teams have stated that they're not going to send their coaches there. Um, just so they can spend other, you know, spend time doing other things that are, I guess, more valuable to the team as a whole. Uh, I think I would, if I, there's a position group I'm interested in seeing this year, it might be the, the wide receivers, just seeing how they perform. Um, the wide receiver class is loaded this year. There's some really high-end guys there. It's just going to be interesting to see, you know, how these guys separate themselves, potentially throw a wrench into the draft. Um, so I'm interested to see that, you know, the quarterbacks are hit or miss, whether they're going to participate or make the throws, you know, in the combine. Usually they rely on their pro days for that. But, you know, if there's one group I'm interested in seeing is just, you know, what wide receivers end up putting, uh, you know, putting on a show at the combine and, you know, how those numbers could affect where their stock is, you know, come, um, you know, the draft, you know, I think we're going to see at least four to five taken in the first round this year. It's going to be interesting to see which ones they are. Um, but I think if there's one group that probably stands out, it's the wide receiver group and, and see who really separates themselves as a clear-cut number one wide receiver this year. From football to football, we have not talked uh, on the podcast since Manchester City's two-year Champions League ban for some kind of financial Im- improprieties, I believe. Um, where do you think this goes? That's a big, big uh, suspension for a high-profile team that, from a marketing perspective, if you're being, um, if, if you're being 
not naive, but 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 if you believe that that these things get are are sometimes based around marketing and sexiness and whatever, you're losing a really high profile team by banning them two years. Uh, and I know that 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 off air you've expressed doubt that this holds up under suspension. So. As you look at it, where's your head at when it comes to Man City's two-year suspension? It's going to be interesting because you know this happens a lot in soccer. Um, you know, financial proprieties, uh, misleading your shareholders, um, stating finances that may not be there, and all this really affects you know the club's value, the club's opportunity to, to play in the transfer market, um, and obviously now to play in competitions such as the Champions League. From a Manchester City perspective, you have to hope that this goes away because two years out of the Champions League is a lot for a team that is playing in it every single year. Um, it really changes your priorities as a club. Um, do you sell off the players that you have to, to raise funds so that when you do have the ban lifted, you're able to compete at the highest level? Are you able to keep those people in general? You know, are, are players going to want to sit at, um, you know, and, and wait out this ban? You know, we've seen instances where, you know, players are chasing Champions League football. They'll, they'll accept transfers to teams so they can play in, in the highest level of, of soccer in the world. Um, you keep your coach, you know. Is a coach going to sit through and wait for two years? So I think it's really important for Manchester City to get this lifted because they are a, a top-tier club in the world. They have top-tier players, and for these players to sit out two years um, really is not realistic for from a you know player perspective so it's going to be interesting to see what happens most of the times these things get changed or altered or, or lifted um but we'll see what happens you know this could also change manchester city's perspective on their season right now you know they're not going to win the premier league they could just focus completely on on the champions league and try to get that trophy before the end of the year so that way they can have that you know in their back pocket but we'll, we'll see what happens it's it's not unprecedented that this happens, but for a club like this, with the players they have and the coach they have, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. When you sat there in August on the first day of the Premier League, and if you and, and your fellow soccer fans had a group chat and had a little um, wager on, you know, let's, well, let's just dive in fully to the betting side of things here, uh, be, be, being that it's European football, um, if 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 I told you that Liverpool would have the season that they did, would you have called me crazy? I mean, how remarkable is what Liverpool has done in the Premier League this year? From a domestic standpoint, it's pretty remarkable. You know, it's hard in the English Premier League to have the type of season they're having because they're they're playing a lot of different types of games, right? You're playing in the Premier League. You're playing in um, their what they call the Carabao Cup, which is like their first level of a. Uh, of their domestic league uh, trophy round. You're playing in the Champions League and then you're playing in the FA Cup. So they have four different types of competitions going on at the same time. Um, so it's really hard to do what it is that they've done. Now we saw them slip up earlier this week. You know, they, they lost at Atletico Madrid, one nothing. Um, they have the second leg back home in Anfield. So, you know, my guess is they still push through into that final eight in the Champions League, but um, they're they're under a, a microscope because they've had such a dominating season in the Premier League. 
Um, I would say right now the Premier League is a foregone conclusion for them unless there's some sort of epic meltdown from that team, which I don't see happening. Um, but this team ultimately will be looking for, for more than just that. They want the Champions League, and they, they want to, you know, what they call the treble, win the treble, you know, win the three different trophies throughout the year. Um, so they have, they have some tweaking to do because they did not look good on Tuesday, I believe it was, when they played. So, you know, all that domestic glory really goes for nothing if, if, you're, if you're unable to win the Champions League, I think, for a team like that. So um, we'll see how they adjust moving forward. Um, they've had a couple of weeks uh, here with some downtime. But I, I think that what they've done just from a domestic standpoint has been pretty remarkable, you know, being able to – to be 25 points up in your in your league, um, scoring at will, having the type of, of team that they have, and playing the, the type of style they have is really taxing as well. So we'll see how the next couple of weeks play out for this team in, in general. But you know what they've done has been pretty remarkable, and the fact that they've been able to really be on the forefront the last couple of years in general too. You know, the last three years have, have been sort of a a renaissance for this team, and they were able to get to a Champions League final and lost Real Madrid. They were able to win it last year, and now they're looking for the, the third trip in a row there. So we'll see what they're able to do the next couple of weeks. You know, obviously injuries play into that. Are they able to stay healthy? But uh, it's been pretty remarkable. And it's fun to watch. You know, they play a really exciting brand of soccer. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, two uh, baseball things before we go. Um, you told me the other day you were sick of talking about the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal, um, but I'm going to keep bringing it up because I think this is going to be a year-long storyline. We had the report come out. We had the Astros start spring training. We had some people take responsibility. We had Jim Crane saying it affected the game, yet it didn't affect the game, but yet we're sorry. They've completely mangled this. Now you got people calling other people snitches. Um, this is just a mess, but from my, and, and, and now threats of being bean, we have death threats to Houston Astro players, death threats to Mike Fires. The, the, the whole thing is just a mess. But from my perspective, if you're a Houston Astro on a good team trying to win a championship this year, I have no idea how you go into any road city believing that you're going to be able to play in a completely safe environment and not get beamed and not get in a bra- I mean, I would put the over-under on brawls. The Astros will be in at five, and I would take the over in a heartbeat. I really think this is going to be a mess, and baseball has done a brutal job of trying to um, put this to bed. Yeah, Manfred has been terrible throughout this whole saga. He... I think it screwed the pooch by not suspending players. I can understand why baseball you do not want to suspend players. You want your best players out there at all times. But he really screwed it up because he has, he has not taken the culpability of saying, you know, as a baseball we need to change or we need to make, you know, um, people pay for what they've done. Um, he came to the union completely. On the other side, the Houston National players, you know, have taken no responsibility or accountability for what they've done. They've kind of waved it off a bit. You know, the nonchalant answers they've given about what has happened and how it's affected the game has been, you know, really embarrassing, I think, on their end. Then you also have players here that are pissed because they felt like they've got cheated. Uh, you know, it's just an absolute mess. And baseball is just one of those sports where it's 
unwritten rules, this and that. You don't do this. You don't say that. You, you keep your mouth shut. And when people finally say something about the crap that you're doing that's against the rules, people go up and, and, and wave their arms and say, no, not us. We haven't done this, or we don't do this, or, you know, look at all these other teams that do it. We were just, you know, the ones that got caught. It, it's a mess. Baseball is kind of a joke right now, and, and I don't know how they're going to recover from this because this is a situation now where everything is going to be under the microscope. Nothing that they do is ever going to be looked at the same way. And the Astros are going to find themselves in a situation, like you mentioned, where every single place that they go and play, or every everybody that they play, or you know, when they come to New York, or when they do, uh, you know, go to LA, if they go to LA, or wherever it is, they're going to be have a, a huge target on their back. And I just think it's been terribly mismanaged by by Rob Manfred. If I were him, I would have suspended some players. Um, it, it's a shame that. We, we are in this situation because it's, baseball needs an opportunity to get back on, on the forefront and in people's minds, and I think the only thing they have going, them for, going for them right now is this scandal. And, and um, it's going to take away from the product and the field, I believe, because I think when the Astros come to town, wherever it is they go, it, it's going to be ugly games, uh, choppy games, um, like you said, brawls left and right, potentially. People get hit left and right. So I just think it's one of those situations where they did a really bad job of managing it from the get-go. They're ready for a lot of garbage cans, especially uh, uh, attempting to be brought into uh, ballparks. Finally, and in, in, in just in 30 seconds, Severino has soreness in his arm. Um, he missed so much time last year. that The Yankees are, all, are, are already without James Paxton uh, for the start of the season after off-season surgery. Where's your concern meter right now when it comes to Luis Severino? Hi, because he, he felt this at the end of last season. So you were in October, November, December, January to figure this out, and they're just figuring it out now. So it's high because this is uh, starting to become a little bit of a pattern with him. Um, and it's just really unfortunate that the Yankees have to deal with this and he has to deal with this because we're probably looking at him missing at least a couple weeks of the season, if that. Um, could be more, just depending on this. It's just, in my opinion, you know, you have the entire offseason. What are you doing? You know, what, what are you doing to make yourself a better player? What are you, how are you, you know, getting better? You know, what type of training are you doing? And it seemed like the other day, he was throwing, and he was fine until he went to his changeup, and his changeup messed him up a bit. So, you know, it's, it's just really concerning that you knew that this was an issue a little bit uh, at the end of last season, and you kind of let it go, and now you're, you're in a situation where um, you could be seeing him out out maybe until, you know, end of April, beginning of May. So um, a little concerning to see this pop up so early, you know, in what, his second, third day at, at spring training? So it, it's high. Danny Flecka, thank you for joining us in your weekly spot again on Teeing It Up Presents. Um, and just make sure that you don't get arrested after carrying 157 pounds of weed in duffel bags. We need you for these weekly spots. Yeah, I'll do my best not to be a moron. <laughs> yes. And by the way, folks, if you have not seen the pictures, go look at the pictures. I mean, I have no idea what this offensive lineman was thinking. I mean... Duffel bags in a rented van. I mean, that can only be one thing. So I'm sorry, but that guy just did not use his smarts when trying to transport huge quantities of marijuana. Danny Flecka, thank you for joining us on uh, this edition of Teeing It Up Presents. No problem, man. Have a good weekend. You got it. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up Presents. Take care.